Hey, everyone. We've got something special for you today. It's a collaboration between A Matter of Degrees and the awesome podcast, How to Save a Planet. I'm Dr. Leah Stokes. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. And Alex, you're not exactly my normal co-host of A Matter of Degrees, Dr. Katherine Wilkinson. And you're not my normal co-host, Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson. Although they're both doctors. Well, are you a, You're a doctor too, though. I am. We got a lot of doctors in the house. Yeah, I'm the only non-doctor, so I, I was gonna I was gonna share my <laughs> my inferiority complex of being the on, only non-doctor in my co-host duo. But <laughs> you're not the person that's gonna talk to me about that. You're just judging me. Also, you're one of those judgy doctors looking down on me. <laughs> I can't do surgery though, so you know, <laughs> not that serious of a doctor. Anyway, the point is we have big shoes, both of us, to fill. Yep. But we're super excited to be doing this big collaboration episode. And we begin today's episode with a puzzle. A puzzle we heard about from this guy. My name is Jason Clint, and I am the Senior Director of Government Affairs and Economic Development for Evergy. Evergy is a big electric utility, and Jason is essentially one of its in-house lobbyists. So it's his job to rep Evergy in policy conversations, and sometimes in other places. Believe it or not, this is my second podcast, so I don't want to. I don't want to make you guys. I don't want to make you guys nervous, but I'm kind of a veteran at this. We got a professional on our hands here, Alex. Professional charmer. <laughs> and Evergy is located in Kansas, and as anyone who's watched The Wizard of Oz knows, Kansas is a windy place. In Kansas, the, we're the Saudi Arabia of wind. I'm not sure that that's exactly <laughs> true, but nevertheless, that's what we like to say. But despite being located in the Saudi Arabia of wind, two-thirds of the energy that Evergy provides to people in Kansas is still coming from fossil fuels. Most of that actually coming from the dirtiest fossil fuel, coal. And for a long time, Alex, that mix made sense, at least from a narrow economic perspective, because, you know, for a while, coal was cheaper than wind. But in the last half decade or so, wind has become much cheaper than coal. It's an amazing, amazing turn of events. It is. You know, it's not just cleaner, it's also cheaper. And so it's not surprising that Evergy's customers are demanding more of that wind energy. We are seeing a demand from our industrial customers, from educational institutions, from retail customers to see more of solar and wind. They, they're, they're asking for that. And you're also in a part of the country that is like has an, an amazing wind resource. It's just very windy in Kansas and so great place to set up wind generation plants. And they're cheap now and competitive. And your customers are asking for them. But coal is a huge chunk of your generation, right? And so it sounds like it's something of a conundrum for you guys, right? That's right. I think we're a little long on coal. Mm -hmm. But what do you do? What do you do? I mean, it seems obvious what you do. You build more wind plants and shut down your coal plants. Yeah, I mean, that does seem obvious. At least economically, that would totally make sense. According to Energy Innovation, a think tank that has done a lot of work on this issue, just under half of the coal fleet in the United States could be replaced with a local wind project tomorrow and save customers money. That's insane. Right. And we call these coal plants that are more expensive to operate than, you know, a new wind energy plant. We call them uneconomic. The idea is that they don't make financial sense to keep operating. And you don't have to take my word for it. Jim Robo is the CEO of NextEra, one of the largest utilities in the country. And here's how he put it. There is not a regulated coal plant in this country that is economic today, full period. 
That was a direct quote from a CEO of a utility <laughs> a company. A CEO of a utility is saying that. means like, yeah, it's, it's, so it's not like some uh, tie-dyed uh, hippie <laughs> telling us that. This is the CEO of a utility, right? And so when his company, Next Era, shut down its coal plants in Florida, they projected that it's going to actually save their customers billions of dollars. So these coal plants, they're not just terrible for the planet and nearby communities' health. They're also costing people extra money on every single month's utility bill. And here is where we get to the puzzle. So it would seem like it's a no-brainer, right? For Jason's company, Evergy, which is located in the uh, self-proclaimed Saudi Arabia of wind, to do what Next Era is doing in Florida. Like if Florida can do it, shut down a bunch of their coal plants, then Kansas should be able to too, right? Like it's windier in Kansas. The Wizard of Oz wasn't set in Florida. Ah, uh, but Alex, is not that simple. It never is. <laughs> it never is, no. <laughs> and this is the crux of the puzzle. You see, one of the big reasons that utilities struggle to retire their coal plants is debt. Mm -hmm. This is the conundrum that energy companies like Jason's are facing. So let's break it down for the listeners. Okay. Let's say that 40 years ago, an electric utility company built a coal plant. So a long time ago. Right. Before I was born, actually. And as the decades passed, they paid down pretty much all the debt that they'd sunk into building that plant. Right. And of course, this wasn't all their money. Like any company, the utility financed a big part of this debt. They borrowed the money, said to their lenders, we'll pay you back with interest over time as we get paid for the electricity that we're generating. Exactly. And you're probably thinking, wow, it's 40 years later. We should expect that debt to be gone. It should be paid off. But it turns out that a lot of coal plants still have debt on them. And so why is that? It's because about a decade ago, a lot of utilities decided to borrow even more money and renovate their old coal plants. And that wasn't because they wanted the knobs to be shinier and the buttons <laughs> to be a different color. Uh, it wasn't for those kinds of aesthetic reasons. Right. They did it because there were these new clean air regulations coming down. Uh -huh. And utilities faced this choice. They could either shut down their coal plants or they could install pollution control equipment to meet these new regulations for things like mercury pollution, which coal plants release when they operate. Right. And so a lot of them made the decision, you know what, we'll borrow the money, we'll clean up our emissions, but we'll keep these things running. It's 2011. We have a few decades to go. This climate change thing can't be that big of an issue. Exactly. You know, utilities were actually quite involved in promoting climate denial. We know that oil companies were up to it, but utilities were doing it too. And these utilities, they actually decided about a decade ago, a lot of them, to sink another several hundred million dollars into any given coal plant to renovate it rather than shutting it down. And like you said, Alex, this was money that they borrowed. So if you fast forward a decade, they haven't paid all that money back yet. They still have debt on those plants. And so they need revenue from their customers. They need to keep charging people to keep that coal plant operating and to pay back the loans on those bad decisions. Right. If they shut down the coal plant and say it switched to wind, they would still owe money on that debt they took out 10 years ago and now also have to borrow more money to set up whatever new wind project that they'd need to set up. So they'd be losing revenue from their coal plant and adding debt. Lots of them can't afford to do that. So they're thinking, I have to keep generating this electricity until I pay off the debt so that I can do something else. Yeah, so they're keeping these much dirtier and much more expensive coal plants open because it makes financial sense for them, 
not for their customers, and it doesn't make sense for the planet either. Right. And this is a big problem. According to the Rocky Mountain Institute, which is an environmental think tank that works a lot on this issue, utilities have around $100 billion in coal plant debt right now. So we are talking about a big mountain of debt. And the thing is, we've got to solve this problem if we want to move away from coal. But it's also sort of an unsexy problem. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like inventing an electric car or a new energy source. That's sort of exciting, right? Figuring out a way to retire coal plant debt. Who wants to take that on? Well, as it happens, Alex, there is one guy who did want to take this on. This was the thing that got him out of bed every morning, ready to show his fellow Midwesterners that we can clean up our electricity system right now. I want to introduce our listeners to this guy who's been working to solve this problem that we've outlined at the beginning of this episode. And he's been doing it for a long time. My name is Ashok Gupta. I'm a senior energy economist at NRDC, Natural Resources Defense Council, where I've been for almost 30 years now. Like me, Ashok's field is energy. And as we know, slashing carbon pollution from the electricity system is a really big deal. In the United States, more than a quarter of our emissions come from simply making the electricity we use to power our homes and our factories and our businesses. And this is a statistic that I always feel like you can't emphasize enough. A quarter of the problem is making electricity. If we can switch our electricity generation away from fossil fuels into wind and solar and other clean technologies, it is a huge dent in our emissions problem. Yeah, and it actually gets bigger than that, Alex, because once we have that clean electricity, we can use it to power our homes and our cars and even parts of heavy industry with clean power. And that means we can clean up even more of our carbon pollution. Right. So this is a huge part of addressing this problem. Yes. And in Ashok's many decades of working on environmental policy, he's seen a lot of exciting developments. One of the big ones is how cheap renewable energy technologies have gotten. But unfortunately, he saw a pattern that I've seen and many others have as well, which is that utilities were resistant to adopting these cheaper and cleaner renewable energy technologies. Ashok quickly realized that the thing getting in the way was this debt problem we talked about. Coal plants owing money on stuff they have already built, and so they can't afford to switch over to something better. And so... Over the last few years, he made it his life's mission to come up with a solution. And I do mean his life's mission, because Ashok has spent many decades growing relationships with folks who could help him solve this. I mean, I've basically have spent, you know, even though I've only moved here in 2012 full time, I've been visiting Kansas for 40 years. (laughs) I've... The utilities I have built a deep relationship with, I can tell you that I've, I'm on the few environmentalists that have spoken to the board of a utility in Kansas three times. And over those 40 years, Ashok settled on a solution to this debt problem. The solution called... Leah, do you want to say it together? <laughs> okay, this is exciting. <laughs> Let's do it. One, two, three. Coal, Coal debt, debt securitization. securitization. Well done. As a brief aside, will you permit a brief aside here? Always, Alex, always. So as you and I were working on this story, I was having these really strong flashbacks to my previous job 
before I was the co-host of How to Save Planet, I was a co-host of another uh, podcast on NPR called Planet Money. And we explained finance and economic stuff all the time. And we were always talking about these super obscure but incredibly important financial arrangements that sort of like affected everything around us, but were really hard to explain. And often to explain them, we would have to resort to doing sort of like an on-air skit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think maybe explaining cold debt securitization is going to require a skit. So uh, do you want to you do a skit with me? Well, Alex, now you're giving me flashbacks to my high school drama years. So yes, I'm always ready <laughs> for a skit. Let's do this thing. What is my role? Well, well, first, now that you've mentioned high school drama, what, did, what, what were your roles back then? Oh, I mean, I played um, who, in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, if you ever remember that play. Mm-hmm. I played that angry wife that, like, slaps the husband in the middle of the play. The that Liz was Taylor one of role? uh, my roles. Yeah, exactly. And I oh. actually hit the guy on the face in, in, in the performance, and he was pretty <laughs> shocked because, you know, you're supposed to fake the, uh, the face slap. So did not do that. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that role— in, in our skit, you're going to be playing essentially the exact opposite. It's not a very uh, a highly emotional, flamboyant uh, drunk. You want to be playing one of the sort of like the most buttoned up, rational sort of like characters you can imagine. You are going to be a Wall Street bond trader. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to have to get like a suit. Exactly. I'm going to have to get ready for this one. And I am going to be a utility executive. Excellent. Well, at least I know I'll be making some sweet Wall Street cash in this new role. Exactly. So, as a utility executive, I am the proud owner of a coal plant that owes a lot of money, right? I took out one loan in 83 to build my plant, and then another in 99 to upgrade something. And then in 2013, I took out another loan to sort of like um, install some mercury scrubbers. So today, I owe a combined total of, let's say, $500 million. Man, Alex, you really took out a lot of loans there. I don't know. Is this a good company? <laughs> I know. I mean, but like some coal plants actually owe around that much, right? So this is this is the amount of debt that we're talking about here. And so my plan was to pay it back by running my dirty coal plant for the next 20 years. But every year as renewable costs come down and coal costs stay the same or even increase, keeping my coal plant open gets more and more expensive than clean power. And it's starting to look more and more like a bad plan. Almost like you made some bad financial decisions there, Alex. Exactly. And um, and maybe you, Leah, the high-powered bond trader, can help me out. Yeah, well, you know, in this role of a Wall Street fat cat, I'm always looking to make good deals, you know, to make a nice fat profit. <laughs> and the way that I make my cash is by lending people money. And then they pay me back with a nice interest rate. Right. So, The main thing I've got to do in my job is figure out what should I charge people. And I'm going to charge them a different interest rate based on how risky they are. Mm -hmm. So normally I would see these coal plants like yours as quite risky and demand a very high interest rate. But see, that won't work for me, Leah, because I need a lower interest rate. It doesn't work. I can't borrow money at the same interest rate that I'm already paying it back at. That doesn't do me any good. What I need to do is refinance. I need to borrow $500 million at a much lower interest rate. Then I can pay off my old debts and save my customers money and shut down the coal plant and maybe now invest in a new state-of-the-art wind power plant. That's, That's my plan. What do you say? Can you give me a lower interest rate? You? 
<laughs> I don't know. Alex, you're kind of a mess. You got these rickety old coal plants. I don't see any reason why I should charge you a lower interest rate. If anything, I'm thinking I should up that rate. Wow. You are a cold-blooded Wall Street shark. <laughs> Is there anything I can do, Leah the Bond Trader? <sighs> well, let me think about it. Let me see if we can come to a deal. Do you have anything that you could use as collateral, like a big pot of money, a treasure at the end of the rainbow, <laughs> some valuable property? You know, I'd like to know what you could put on the line here so that if you're not able to pay us back, I can go take the keys to that fancy car or something like that. Right. Uh, you know, because I, I need some backup money here. I see. If I come up with some collateral, you could give me a lower interest rate? I'd be open to it. Well, there is this one thing. I have all these customers, see? Mm -hmm, <laughs> because mm -hmm. I'm a regulated monopoly, I am the only one, by law, allowed to provide those customers with electricity. So as long as they're buying electricity from a utility, they're buying it from me. Okay, I'm listening. This is interesting. These customers provide me a super safe, super regular income stream every month. What if I tacked on a special charge right on those customers' utility bills that would go directly to paying back this loan? Mm -hmm. Having your payments tied directly to our customers paying their bills, that would have to make you feel better about loaning us the money, right? A ton of people making these super regular payments every month. That's the best collateral you could hope for. Okay, I'm interested. I'm open to this. This is an interesting new twist. But, I mean, are you allowed to do this? Like, would the government let you? Would your regulator let you? Um, that I'm not sure about. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe I'm allowed. Okay, well, I'm going to need more than a maybe, all right? The Wall Street folks, they don't go on maybes. They go on firm yeses. So if you can go get me a firm yes on this nice, fat income stream of customers, money every month, then we've got a deal. I could think about a lower interest rate. Okay. I will get back to you. And scene. Very scene. well done. You're a natural. Oh, thank you, Alex. I'm glad we could both relive our memories of, <laughs> of podcast hosting and high school drama classes. This is good. Okay. So the point of that whole drama was, in order to get the low interest rate I need to shut down my coal plant, I need to get what they call regulatory clarity. I need a law, essentially, that says, yes, I am allowed to put this line item on my customer's bills to pay off this new loan. I need the legislature to write me some new legislation. And so that's been Ashok's role. He's been trying to get securitization legislation passed at the state level. And he knew that to get lawmakers on board to sign this idea into law, he'd have to be smart. He couldn't just start by going to legislators directly to try to persuade them. He needed to begin by talking to the electric utility because if they weren't on board with this issue, he knew it would never happen. Utilities often have enough political influence in state capitals that they can kill any bill that they don't like. And so the first year we just introduced the bill, started talking to people, started talking to the utilities and saying, hey, we're doing this analysis. We think this can be a useful tool. Let's, let's talk. I'm not trying to harm you. I'm not trying to surprise you. Let's have a conversation about this. So Ashok had to convince utility people, people like Jason at the Kansas Utility Evergy, and he had to convince them that this was a good idea. He needed to be a salesman and say, everybody can get something if they're not too greedy and we can move forward with this energy transition. 
And introducing this legislation, that was the moment for Ashok to make use of all the relationships he had built over the decades working with the utilities. And at first, when Ashok presented this idea to Evergy's Jason Clint, like a lot of people in the utility world, Jason was skeptical. So we've heard about securitization. You know, it's been at least three or four years. It is something that we had previously opposed. It was, you know, a bill that we saw as a way for environmentalists to come in and try and force us to get rid of our coal plants. I mean, you got to remember, we still have millions of dollars tied up in these generating assets. In other words, Jason's utility was not willing to do anything that was going to hurt the bottom line. But that's the beauty of this idea, right? It actually wouldn't hurt the utility's bottom line. And once Jason's company, Evergy, started to crunch the numbers internally, I think they started to realize that Ashok had a point. That, hey, maybe this securitization idea, it's a good one. And that's when their whole perspective started to change. And so for us, then it became a thought of, how do you make securitization go from something you oppose to something that makes sense? That was in August or September of last year. Our board and our management team said, hey, we need to figure out how to make this work. And I remember Jason telling us this, like, Leah, what, do you have any idea why this moment is the moment where they're sort of coming around? I mean, coal plants have been on a pretty bad economic trajectory for years. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about utilities. <laughs> right. You've written a book about utilities. You've re- researched it for many, many years. Like, yes. it's your jam. It's like my <laughs> whole jam. And so Evergy is like a lot of other companies, a lot of other electric utilities. It's feeling this public and political pressure to start changing their business model. It's recognizing that climate policy is starting to come down the pipe. And Evergy, like a lot of other electric utilities, started to set these targets to try to cut its carbon pollution. So last year, Evergy said it planned to cut carbon pollution 80% below 2005 levels, which is in line with the Paris Agreement targets. But if you're going to hit that kind of target, you kind of need to do something about your coal plants. Yes, I would say, right? And so refinancing the debt to make it possible to shut down their coal plants would play a big role in meeting these targets. But still, that's a hard thing for a utility to do, right? Close down the thing that has been your sort of bread and butter for many, many decades. Jason told us that Ashok, an environmentalist with the Natural Resources Defense Council, was a big part of the internal discussions that got them to that point. Ashok was instrumental in us going from no, absolutely not, to, well, maybe. And so Ashok was key in making sure that folks in the environmental community, as well as regulators and others, understood that, hey, This bill may not be everything, but it's just as good, if not better, for the environmental community, if not better from a consumer advocate standpoint. And so, you know, this is something that if you got problems, let's work through them. But he was able to be, you know, kind of a a third-party verifier that this wasn't just the old utilities trying to, you know, trying to sneak something by everybody. So because Ashok had the trust of the environmental community and also the trust of the utilities— he was able to play this mediator role and get all the parties to the table. But getting people to the table is just the first step. You've got to get them to actually agree on the legislative language. And in one instance, that came down to hours of arguments over just a few words. Language, it really matters. Always does. It does indeed. And so Ashok, the environmentalist, and Jason, the utility lobbyist, they were working together somewhat warily to pass coal debt securitization laws. 
And Ashok and Jason had been working on this bill in Missouri for a while, and they were getting pretty close to passing it. But there were still a bunch of details to work out. So on the day of the vote, after debate on the floor, all the senators convened in a side galley, and they brought a bunch of the advocates with them, too. And the conversation started around 4 p.m. And pretty soon you had all the interested parties around the table. You had the industrials, you had commission staff, you had the senators, you had the different the utilities, the um, public advocate. But you had all those groups in a room, and we literally went through the bill line by line, and we would we would stop where there were issues. And this process it went on for hours. Jason said things didn't really wrap up until nearly midnight. The negotiations got down to very, very specific word choices. So the word in the language was that the commission would be able to observe as we went through the bond process. They wanted the word oversee. Mm. So you got observe and oversee, and those are two really different. One's too hot and one's too cold. <laughs> it's like Goldilocks, right? Like, this one's too soft. This one's too hard. They need a word that's just right. Yeah, you're right. It's like observe, sort of more of a laid back word. It's hands yeah. off. It's cool, cool temperature right. word. Like, the environmentalists are not going to go for observe. They want a little bit of a more of a role than observe. Yes. But then oversee, the utilities are like, we're not going to have you guys oversee us. Like, this is our business. You, we don't want some, you know, environmentalists coming in and telling us how to run our business. Exactly. And so we spent a lot of time, I think the word we actually ended up, I, I, I have to look at the statute, but if I remember right, it was participate. We finally ended up with the word participate. You know, and it, it, when you go back to your, your uh, uh, observation that, you know, everybody's afraid of words, and that's right. And so we had several of those debates. You know, they were very, I, I never understood it. They were very concerned about the word abandoned. And I, and I think they thought that we were literally going to just, you know, shut the doors and like walk away. Whereas abandon is a word that's used in accounting. It's an accounting term. Uh, and that's why right. it was in the legislature. And, you know, we're not going to just shut down our coal plant, toss the keys and walk away and abandon it like a car <laughs> on the side of the road. You know, Leah, again, like I think this is the value of somebody like Ashok who can sort of like, because if I'm an environmentalist and I'm Mm-hmm. Listening to the utility argue like, you don't have to worry about this word abandon. It doesn't mean what you think it means. I'm not sure I'm going to trust them, right? No, exactly. You need a kind of third-party broker, somebody who's built trust across all the different parties who can kind of, you know, be credible to all sides. Exactly. And in the end, the folks at the table finally came to an agreement. Right. After going back and forth in the wee hours of the morning, coal debt securitization passed the Missouri House by a vote of 146 in favor to one opposed. And then it passed the Missouri Senate unanimously, 33 to zero. Right. And this didn't just happen in Missouri. Securitization also passed this year in Kansas. Ashok and his colleagues' hard work over a lot of years paid off in a big way. Thanks to all these behind-the-scenes relationships that he made, both in Kansas and in Missouri, these bills were signed into law by governors this summer. So Ashok, he did it! Yes! I I mean, and I'm sure there's lots of other people involved as well. (laughs) It's it's not just Ashok, right? It's always a team effort, yes. But, Leah, I don't know how I should feel about this. You remember how you said a decade or so ago, utilities were taking out new loans to upgrade their old coal plants rather than just deciding back then to invest in something cleaner? 
And now it seems like we're passing these laws that help absolve them of all these bad financial decisions they made a while ago. It seems sort of unfair. Yeah, you know, I've definitely felt that way, too. Um, But the way I now see the issue and the way Ashok sees it as well is that this is the reality. The debt is there now. It's not going away. And we've got to find a solution to fix this problem. We're not going to make the transition we need to make unless we deal with some of these issues of sunk costs. We can't ignore them. We can't wish them away. We can't hope that, you know, it it had turned out differently and... uh, But these are things in the real world for me, we just have to deal with and create a win-win-win. And I do think that Missouri and Kansas will be good models for other states. And this does seem like a pretty big win-win-win. Like, utilities don't go out of business, customers pay the same and maybe less over the long term. And we transition to a cheaper, cleaner form of energy. What do you think this says about securitization as a policy? Could it feasibly pass in more states that need to retire their aging coal fleets? Well, other states have actually already done this, like New Mexico and Colorado. Mm. And the approaches in those two states also include trying to protect workers and communities in the energy transition by directing some of the savings that we get from securitization, putting those savings back into communities to support things like worker retraining programs. Yeah, I mean, this is a point people talk about in the just transition, right? Like, we need to, for the future of our planet and humanity, get off fossil fuels, but lots and lots of people are employed in the fossil fuel industry. And so we have to recognize that, like, when we make this transition, we need to also take care of those people that they're not just left out in the cold. Yeah, and that's what I like about the solution. And, you know, Leah, what I like about this, too, is it also sort of illustrates this point that we make a lot. People think, where can my role be in mm-hmm. like making this transition? And if you're a money person, if you're a bond trader, if you work on Wall Street, there's a role for you, right? A lot of the issues that we need are going to require new solutions to financing and capital allocation and all these things that, that people who are good with money are good at. So th- this is another example of that, I think, too. Right. The clean energy transition is also a financial transition. It's about trying to get that money into the clean stuff and out of the dirty stuff. Exactly. And it's not just coal plants, right? We focused here on the $100 billion that's stuck in these dirty old coal plants. But there's another $60 billion in fossil gas plants, too. Right. So if we keep building more and more gas plants, you know, right now the Sierra Club has an estimate that there's about 230 proposed gas plants in the pipeline. Oh, my God. If we keep building new gas plants, let alone gas furnaces, putting gas stoves in homes, if we keep creating more fossil fuel infrastructure, then we have to retire it before the end of its useful life, which means we're retiring it before we've gotten that money that debt or investment back out. And so we could be creating this same problem all over again if we keep putting more money into fossil fuels. So how do we stop this? Like, how do we, do we, do we need a Ashok to go state by state and get securitization bills passed across the country and not just for coal, but for like natural gas as well as like coal furnaces and coal boilers and as well as like oil burners and- And gas burners, uh, gas furnaces too. <laughs> yeah, like what are we doing here? Well, the first thing is we should stop investing in new fossil fuel infrastructure. So if your furnace breaks, get a heat pump. If you, you know, think about putting in an induction stove, start at your own house, but also stop those new gas pipelines. That's the first thing. 
But then the other thing we have to do is get good policy. And the good news is we don't have to wait for every single state to adopt securitization. We have this big opportunity right now with the current climate bill that's being negotiated in Congress. We can scale up these ideas nationally. And when we're talking about when we're talking about the climate bill, you know, people who've been following the news have heard about this big infrastructure bill that Biden was really pushing, like that senators could work this out and that actually bipartisanship is possible. That did pass the Senate and now it is sort of like waiting uh, treatment in the House. But there's this other bill, which is much bigger in scope, that most people assume will have no Republican participation, but that Mm -hmm. can pass with a simple majority. Um, And there's lots and lots of stuff in that bill, um, and much of it is addressing climate change. Exactly. One idea that the Rocky Mountain Institute has been working on is for the federal government to automatically extend securitization to every single utility in the country, meaning you don't have to go state by state. We don't need an Ashok everywhere. We could just kind of turn it on for the entire country. Gotcha. That sounds more efficient as we're talking about efficiency. That seems more efficient. (laughs) (laughs) And there's another big idea in the climate bill that can help tackle this problem. And this is through a new kind of clean electricity standard, what's being called the Clean Electricity Payment Program, that we should also be expecting to be part of the climate bill. Mm. I've heard you talk about the clean electricity uh, standard quite a bit. I learned about the concept from you, and it is basically where the government sets a standard saying like, hey, we need to get 80% clean electricity by this date. Utilities, go figure it out. But that's the rule, you know? And I know a lot of policies exist already in a lot of these states. Like a lot of a lot of states individually have clean electricity standards and mandates that they've set up. And it basically requires utilities to increase their clean electricity by a certain deadline. Yeah, actually more than one in three Americans already live in a place that's targeting 100% clean power right now. So for example, New York has a goal to get to 100% carbon-free electricity by 2040. And there are a bunch of other states that have passed these goals. Feels like every day we have a new state. Um, So when President Biden ran for office, he borrowed this idea. He said, let's do this for the federal level. Let's try to get to 100% clean power nationwide by 2035. And so right now, Congress is trying to figure out how can we get there. And the first goalpost we've got to hit is 80% clean power by 2030. And that's what Congress is working on, trying to get into law right now. It's not going to be exactly like a traditional clean electricity standard that's used in the states. It's actually going to be an investment program that helps utilities that are making fast progress on building and buying and creating all this new clean power. And the idea is if they make progress, the federal government will help them pay for those costs, including, for example, by helping them deal with coal plant debt. So it's like if you're making progress, if you're getting a lot more clean power every year, here are some resources that you can use to solve your problems, which could include problems with coal plant debt. So this idea, it's called the Clean Electricity Payment Program. So the federal government basically helps pay for this transition away from coal as long as utilities are demonstrating that they are actually transitioning to renewable energy. Exactly. And when you and I were talking to Jason at Evergy, I gave him the Stokes hard sell 
for why I think this federal investment policy is so important and is actually a great win-win for electric utilities, too. Do you feel like there is an opportunity to invest in the power sector, whether that's extending tax credits or a clean electricity standard that involves payments into utilities to help with whatever challenges they have? Do you feel like there's a federal opportunity right now to kind of scale up what you're seeing in Kansas and Missouri? Yeah, you know, the devil is in the details on all these things, right? Like, you can slice it one way where you'd say, okay, that makes some sense, and I could be supportive of that. But I think, Jason, this might actually be an exact example of what you talked about earlier, where at first it looked like securitization, and eh, that wasn't a good thing. The more you learned about it and the more you realized it might actually help you, the more positive you could became. Because I'll tell you, the idea of the federal clean electricity standard is actually that it is payments into the utility, payments that can, for example, keep rates low. And so it's kind of an interesting new twist on the conversation. And I would bet we could maybe get you to a I maybe. Love it. You're working and then on it. Maybe a yes. I can't I can't wait to learn more, which it sounds like I'm going to be doing. <laughs> you will be, Jason. We will have another call. I'm always yes. listen if I've learned anything from securitization. It is to be open. Open and listen to what others, other ideas that folks are bringing. Because, well, like you said, I mean, at, sometimes at the face level, you go, that I don't know that that's going to work. But the more sometimes you find out about it, the more you find out that it's not as bad or there's a way to tweak it to make it to work. So I look forward, I can't wait. I look forward to hearing more, more about that. <laughs> nice job. Like, I was like, yeah, I mean, um, I feel like you were, you were making some progress there, Leah. Yeah, maybe Jason was open to the idea. I don't know if I fully sold him. You know, sometimes the Stokes hard sell works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, but definitely it felt like maybe he didn't say right there on tape that he would do it, but I felt like you were you were working him down. Yeah, he probably would yeah. get in trouble with his boss if he did. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> but you know, the truth is, Alex, a lot of other utilities are coming around to this idea of this federal clean energy investment program. Mm -hmm. Back in April, 13 utilities signed a letter to Congress saying, that they wanted to move forward on a clean electricity standard. And since then, I've heard through the grapevine, so to speak, that a lot of other companies are beginning to get to yes. Well, um, Leah, if I'm the owner of a coal power plant and you are a high-powered bond trader, mm -hmm. like the roles yeah. we played earlier in this episode, it looks like it'll start to get easier for us to make deals together. It does appear to look that way. You know, there's reasons to be hopeful. So, Alex, call me up if you ever want to refinance those rickety old machines and replace them with some of that sweet, low-cost, clean, cheap wind and solar. <laughs> Absolutely. I know who to call. Uh, speaking of calls. <laughs> yes? That brings us to our calls to action. Aha! Uh -huh. Leah, do you want to do, do the honors? Yes, and my call to action is indeed a call. So we are on point here. It's pretty straightforward, and it's a potentially quite powerful thing that all of our listeners can do this week, which is to call up the government. Call your senator and say, hey, you know what? I want this clean electricity standard, and I want this climate bill to pass. And you can do that by going to call4climate.com. That's call4climate.com. There's a whole script. It's super easy. Takes two minutes. And I do believe, Alex, you and Ayana on a recent episode did call your own senators, didn't you? Isn't we, it fun and easy? It's fun and easy. And as we've said before on this, in this podcast, like, these really matter. Like what our representatives hear from us, if they hear us 
consistently talking about these things are important. The calls have outsized importance on sort of like how they're thinking about issues. So it really, really does help because right now is the time. We have this potentially historic piece of legislation in front of us. It is this generation's sort of Clean Water Act or Clean Air Act. It could be the thing that sets us on course for the next many decades. Alex, you're so inspiring right now. You're getting me jazzed. I think I'm about ready to go to call for climate.com right now. <laughs> uh. Leah, this has been great. It is now time for the credits. How to Save a Planet is a Spotify original podcast and Gimlet production. It's hosted by me, Alex Bloomberg, and Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson. The show's producers and reporters include Kendra Pierre-Lewis, Rachel Waldholtz, and Anna Ladd. Our senior producer is Lauren Silverman. Our editor is Caitlin Kenny. A Matter of Degrees is hosted by me, Dr. Leah Stokes, and Dr. Catherine Wilkinson. Stephen Lacey is our executive editor. Jamie Kaiser and Dalvin Abouaji are our producers. Sean Marquand is our composer and sound engineer. Sound design and mixing for this episode was done by... By Peter Leonard with original music by Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, and Emma Munger. The episode was fact-checked by Claudia Geib. Additional fact-checking from Michael O'Boyle and Ben Surrier. Special thanks to A Matter of Degrees funders and supporters. The Sunrise Project, Northlight Foundation, McKnight Foundation, Bloomberg Philanthropies, The Eleventh Hour Project, and UC Santa Barbara. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you all next week. 